You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Oh, good morning, everybody. Oh, it seems like forever since I've been here, but um, it's really good. Uh, today, as you are probably aware, but if you're new, uh, we are working our way through John's Gospel, and uh, we've had a couple of uh, sermons on John chapter 1, and today we are starting uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, So, which is a very familiar story of the wedding at Cana, and uh, I'll just go through um, the Bible reading, starting at uh, verse 1, if you want to follow on your own personal Bibles, or the words are up on the screen. So, uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding and his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now that's good advice. Um, We should all do whatever Jesus tells us. But anyway, verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him everyone serves the good wine first and when people have drunk freely then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding feast. They run out of wine, and Jesus saves the day. So the message is, invite Jesus into your marriage. You'll have problems, but he'll help you solve them. That's a great message. And, but it's not actually the message that John is trying to get across in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. But nevertheless, it's a great message. John's message, the clue to what John's message is in verse 11, where John says about this passage, he says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. John's gospel is the book of signs. There are, there are, John does not call Jesus' miracles miracles. He never uses the word miracle. He calls them signs. And there are seven signs in John's gospel before the resurrection. Now, a sign, we've all seen signs. A sign is something that points to somewhere or it tells you about something. But the sign is not the thing itself. The sign just tells you something that you need to know, like how to get there or what it is that you're looking at. So if turning water into wine is the first sign, what is it pointing at? What is it saying about Jesus? What is turning water into wine? What, is, what, sign, what is that sign pointing to? 
Now, fortunately for us, John actually tells us what the purpose of his seven signs is. If we jump ahead to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, John writes this. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So like John's only listed seven of Jesus' miracles, but there were lots. And the other gospels say different miracles. John is saying there are so many miracles, you know, who knows how many. But he selected these seven. These are written so that you may believe that, go back please, I haven't finished reading it. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's telling us that this is why he's written these seven signs. And next slide please. So these are the things that John wants us to believe or to get from the signs. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he wants us to have eternal life. Because if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, we will have eternal life. That's what he says in John 20 verse 31. So that's John's purpose in writing his gospel. That's why he puts these signs in. That's what we are supposed to believe. So let's look at, just to refresh your memory, a little bit about what John has already said in John chapter 1. In verse 1 he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is talking about Jesus here. We all understand that. And also, although it's not expressed, John is talking about the Trinity. John is talking about the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit doesn't get mentioned in this passage. It does later on, or he does later on. But John is talking about the fact that God is three persons, one God, but three persons. And so in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You have to remember, Jesus was only called Jesus when he was born. He, but he, was, he didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago. He was there, right there, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, John, uh, then in John chapter 1, verse 18, John writes, and I've spread it out a little bit to, see, to break it up so it's easier to understand. He says, no one has ever seen God. And then he says, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. So just a little bit unclear, but what John is saying is that no one has ever seen God the Father, but he has been made known to us by God the Son, the only begotten God. You probably remember from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. This is a phrase that John uses. So all of our knowledge of God has come to us through God the Son, who is with the Father and not with as in there's one there and there's one there. They're not separate. They're one God, but they're three persons. And one of the persons is God the Son. And this is the, the person in the Godhead who interacts with us. Anyway, so what John wants us to believe about Jesus is there's four things he particularly wants us to believe. That, John, that Jesus was there from the beginning, that he created everything, that he is the Son of God, the only begotten Son, God the Son, and that he became flesh as Jesus Christ. So 
How does the water into wine help us believe any of this? Because remember, the sign is to help us believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, and which is Christ is just another word for Messiah. It's not a surname, I should make that clear. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. How does this water into wine help us do that? So, these, these in, the, in a many Jewish households, most Jewish households, they had stone jars for the rite of purification. In this house, there were six of them. And they're fairly big, holding oh, something like four or five jerry cans worth of, uh, of liquid. So in the house that Jesus was in, there were six of them. And the, uh, the Bible says that it was roughly around about 600 litres. 500 to 700 litres of, of water. So, think about this. John chapter 1 verse 1 says Jesus created everything. So, if, if the one who created everything out of nothing at the very beginning, how hard do you think it will be for, for him to turn water into wine? Like this child's play, isn't it? I've got nothing. What am I going to do? Ah, the whole universe. Chum, there it is. And earth and all the rest of it. Now, you want me to turn water into wine? Oh, I can't do that. That's hard. No, it's child's play. It's so simple. And the reason I'm saying this is because I've read so many commentaries where they try to rationalise this. There's the, you know, one that says, oh, it was really just water, but they said water was so much better than wine. And there was another one that went into great detail about how you take neutrons and protons out of hydrogen and oxygen and rearrange them into sugar. And the whole thing is it misses the point entirely. The miracle is that he turned water into wine. Who can do that? Only the creator can do that. And so this is, this is the, the, the point that so many people miss, but it's the point that, Jesus, that John is trying to make. He's trying to say, the one who created everything in the beginning, here at the beginning of his ministry, is another act of creation. And he creates, or transforms really, water into wine. Jesus is God the Son through whom all things were created. If the pre-incarnate Jesus, the, the being that we call God the Son, who existed from the beginning till now, not just for the 30-odd years that Jesus was in public ministry, turning water into wine is nothing. Not for him. Amazing for us, but not for him. And the miracle just confirms what John has already said about Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 3, he said, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now you think about how incredibly clever and knowledgeable you must be, because you know anybody can take some grapes and grow grapes and then crush them and turn them into wine. But we don't do that. It's the yeast who does that. It's the things that God has created, the sunshine and the rain. How do we know what the makeup of a bottle of wine is? But Jesus did. He could just do it like that. So, John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who was with God, who created everything, and the creation of wine out of water is just an example of God's power in Jesus, and it is the way that Jesus begins his public ministry with this act of creation. So, okay, that's... That's Jesus as the creator. What about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son, of, Jesus Christ? What does this tell us about that? Christ, as I said, is just the Greek word for Messiah. It means anointed. 
the Jews expected a Messiah. What they were expecting, because the, the, um, in, the, in the Old Testament, Moses said that God will send a prophet greater than, than Moses. And so the Jews have been for hundreds of years expecting a Messiah who will turn up, who will be like an amazing prophet, more powerful than Moses, and they will, this, this new prophet will save them. And their expectation is that he's going to save them from the Roman oppression. He's going to be a warrior king because he's going to be of the line of David. So he'll be of the line of kings. He'll be a warrior king who will free Israel from the yoke of slavery. That's their expectation. But John has already told us in John chapter 1, twice he has John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is not going to be a warrior king. He's going to be a sacrificial lamb. So the, the turning the water into wine, the, the, uh, the clue at how, what this tells us about what sort of a Messiah he's going to be is in verse 6 where John writes, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Now, why didn't John just say there were six stone water jars there? Why does he particularly say for the Jewish rites of purification? The jars were empty. Uh, Jesus could have created wine in them. However, he gets the servants to fill the jars with water. And the miracle of turning the water into wine signifies not only the creative power of Jesus, but also the transforming power. Jesus is going to transform the water into wine. The water represents the Jewish rites of purification. Now, you have to understand, this is not about washing dirt off your hands. The Jewish, Jews thought that if they touched something that was impure, they would be spiritually you know, unclean. And so the water was to make them spiritually clean, their hands spiritually clean. So what Jesus is doing is he's taking the water of the, 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 Old, the Old Testament, the rites, the, uh, all of the, the things that the Jews had to do, he's taking the rites... The, Jew, the, um, the Jewish rites of purification and he's turning it into something Christian, something that is totally different because these jars symbolised all the rituals that were associated with the Old Covenant. And, you know, you can think about all the rituals that there, and there's so many in the Old Testament that we just can't, you know, can't list them all now. But he's taking all those rituals and he's doing away with them. He's replacing the rituals of the old covenant with the wine of the new covenant. That's why John is saying that these jars are here for the rites of purification. Jesus is going to do something with the old, bring in the new. So this first sign not only shows Jesus as the creator, but it points out the changes that are going to happen in religious practice. That with belief in Jesus... That, that um, we will no longer be, well, people who believe in Jesus will no longer be bound by the old rituals, but there'll be something new, and it's wine. And we know from the beginning of the church, 
that wine was used to represent the blood of Jesus. So as Christians, when we're reading this, we think wine, and we've just had communion, and the cup, the wine, represents the blood of Jesus. So in this sign, it's there to remind us that it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, not the water of purification of the Jewish rites, but the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that cleanses us from sin. In um, John himself, uh, in his first letter, not in his gospel, but in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It, it's, it's not like you know, you're getting washed in blood, which sounds pretty gross and doesn't look like it would make you clean. It is the sacrifice that Jesus has made. His sacrifice in our place cleanses us from our sin. And it's symbolised by the blood that is shed on on the cross for us and John is and so with this first miracle that and remember John has had an opportunity to collect all sorts of different miracles but this very first one he's included not just for the creative power of Jesus but for the transforming power as he transforms the water into wine the message is that he can also transform us Jesus can transform saint, sinners into saints Okay, so let's go to the next sign. John, this, this one here. John, I'm sorry, I didn't look. John's first sign confirms that Jesus is creator, the son of God, and has the power to transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. And it points out the action of the Messiah is to supersede the old Jewish covenant and to the new one based on Jesus' blood. So are you all with me so far? Excellent, good, because, you know, like it's pretty heavy going and um, it's not meant to be a theological lecture, but... The Bible is so deep and it's so amazing. You get hooked up into all sorts of little rabbit holes as you go along. But it's just great. Anyway, verse 11 of, uh, of John's Gospel tells us one of the results of the miracle. It tells us that the disciples believed in him because of this. That's verse 11. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Okay, there were many people at that wedding reception and word would have soon gotten around that, hey, Look at this, we had water and now it's wine, you know. But when Jesus and his family left, it was just the disciples who followed him. All the other people, they probably went to their own homes or whatever, but nobody thought any more about following Jesus. So to summarise where we've gone so far, Jesus has all the power of the creator. He transforms the way... People follow God from blind ritual to, you know, a, a freedom. He transforms lives. He still transforms lives. And those who believe in Jesus follow him. And everybody else just focuses on what they do in their ordinary lives. So let's make this personal, okay? What do you say about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Uh, do you believe that he is also divine and responsible for creation? Do you believe that he transforms sinners into saints? You see, all human beings have to answer the question, who do you say 
that Jesus is? And obviously, given what I've said so far, the answer is the Son of God and the Saviour of humanity. But I think probably most of you already know that. But it's not the complete answer. Because you see, even Satan and his demons recognise Jesus as the Son of God, the divine creator of everything, perfect sacrifice for the souls of humanity, but it doesn't do them any good. Because that knowledge means nothing without application. So all of us need to ask ourselves, how are we applying the knowledge that Jesus is the Saviour to our lives? Now we have... um, Steve's been been putting three questions up at the end of uh, the sermon so far. Uh, We have so much more information about Jesus than the guests at the wedding. We know he's the Son of God. We know he's the Lord of Lords. We know he's the King of Kings. The question is for us, is he our King or just someone we think about on Sunday? Because he recognised that if you've got a King, you have to do what he tells you to do. That's what, that's what being a king is. I'm the, he's the boss. Not just on Sundays, but seven days a week. And if he's truly our king, then Mary's words at the wedding feast really do apply to us. Do whatever he tells you. Are we obedient to the king? Do we follow where he leads? Or do we just go about our own business and ignore him? Is Jesus someone you resonate with? Or is he the truth and the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are people who think of Jesus as a wise teacher, as a, as a, you know, a person like Confucius or Buddha or somebody like that. They like some of the things that he said. But Jesus doesn't give people the option to believe he's just a wise teacher because he not only speaks what is true and what he says means that you can't just accept that he's a teacher Because Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells the truth and he is the way. And his way leads to eternal life. And literally all other ways are dead ends. Literally dead ends. So more personally then, do you know that Jesus is your saviour? Jesus began his public ministry with a wedding reception but he finished it on a cross, on a cross for you and me. There is no option to just believe that Jesus is a wise teacher or a good guy. The option of saviour has to be addressed because Jesus offers salvation to all and we can reject it or accept it. But as saviour, he can transform your life. That's why... You know, many people, and myself included in this category, think I have to be good enough in order to become a Christian. But that's not the way it works at all. Because Jesus can transform us from the greatest of of sinners to the greatest of saints. We don't need to wait until we're good enough. We just need to respond to the invitation. So if there's anybody here who has not surrendered their life to Jesus and you want to experience that transformation, come and see me after the service and we'll have a chat about it. But I personally think, and I could be wrong here, but I personally think that most of the people here, I think you've already recognised Jesus as Saviour and accepted him as Saviour. So that just leaves the third part of that. How is the transformation going? 
Are your work in progress or have you become stuck in time somewhere in the past? We need to take the time to assess our own lives. Are we reading the Bible? Are we learning from what we read in the Bible? Do we meditate on what we read and think about it and learn? Or does it just sort of wash over us and we don't even think about it? Do we look for opportunities to pray? You know, you're stuck at a traffic light. Don't sit there and curse the red light. Pray to God and thank God for a few extra minutes to talk to him. Do we listen when we pray? Or is it just a one-way verbal challenge to God to try and squeeze a word in edgeways? But more importantly, do our lives reflect our beliefs? The Bible says many things about how Christians are different to non-Christians. Do we live up to those things? The most famous would be Galatians 5, verses 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Are those things building in our lives? Are they stagnant? Are they suppressed? The transformation trek is just one way of experiencing God's transforming power. And recently it has looked at these areas for transformation. Gratitude, rest, Holy Spirit, forgiveness, generosity, community, hospitality. There are so many areas where we could grow more saint-like. The difference between us and the water in the jars is that the water could not resist. The water has no will of its own. Jesus can turn the water into wine like that because the water has no free will. But we have free will. We can resist the transformation. Jesus wants to transform us. And no matter how many decades ago we accepted Jesus as saviour, we could have travelled a very little way along the path of transformation or we could have travelled a long way in a short time. Are we resisting the power of Jesus to transform us? That is the big question that we need to ask. And I'm not, asked, I'm not asking you particularly, I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm talking to anybody else. I think about my life, I think there are certainly lots of things that I do that probably take time away from focusing on God when I didn't need to do that. So are we letting God work in our lives or are we resisting him? Now, it's not that we need to work harder to be more loving and kind and all the rest of it, but we need to be more open to God's spirit. We need to ask him in our prayers. We need to invite him in. We need to look for opportunities to live our lives in as Christian way as possible. You can't do it on your own strength. You need to ask the Holy Spirit in to help you transform into the person that God wants you to be. On our own, we can't do anything but resist. But through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. So there's my take on John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. But I encourage you all, don't just read through a small part of John and then that's it. Sit there and ask God questions about it. See how it relates to bits that go before it and the bits that go after it. Get involved in absorbing the word into your life and see how it can be applied in all that you say and do. Let's pray. Father God, we belong to you and believe in you and your son with our whole heart. 
Please work in us to transform us into what you will. Make us better than we are now. Help us in our weakness to not resist your efforts. Help us put away the things that interfere with hearing you and growing in you. Transform us into what you want of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.